I welcome you to join me in turning in your pew Bibles to page 44, where we find our reading this morning, Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 through 22. We're going to be starting the reading in verse 10. That will be on page 43. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may you bless this time by your spirit. May you make this word come alive to us. May it reach our heart, Lord. May it be living and active. May it cut through our hearts separating sinew and bone. May it, Lord, penetrate us in a way that is transformative. For we need, we need it, Lord. We need the power of your word accompanied by the Spirit because we need Christ. And he is the word made flesh. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um. Can you keep a promise? Uh, you know, we, we yearn for people to keep their promises to us. From something small like promising to return a phone call to something big like marital fidelity. Promises can make and break trust and faith. And people can go to great lengths to keep a promise. In the animated movie Aladdin... Made in 1992 by Walt Disney Studios back in the, the great day of Disney animation. 
where they made actual quality material. Uh, the title character must choose whether to use his last wish to make his life comfortable or to keep his promise to free the genie. Aladdin keeps his promise and gives the genie his freedom. And that is a powerful moment. A moment in which he cherishes friendship over wishes. But the question we need to ask is, should we make promises to God? Should we make promises to God? That's essentially what Jacob is doing here. Um, and this is what I'm going to say that is our theme statement for this morning. And this is what I, I hope you will take away with you um, as we wrap up the sermon and as we uh, leave this uh, sanctuary this morning. Is that uh, we must believe in God's promises before we make promises to God. Believe in God's promises before we make promises to God. Okay? Um, because usually the promises that we make to God... I should say not usually, always, should be in line with the promises that God has already made to us. So let's look at our text this morning. We have three points uh, that are coming out of these two verses, 20 to 22. And the first uh, point that we're going to talk about is that this is the first vow recorded in the Scriptures. Um, And so because it's the first vow recorded in the Scriptures, um, it, it might be important for us to take some time to to look at it and to uh, assess uh, the importance of what vows will look like later on in the scriptures and, and what sort of light they will be painted in um, so that we might be able to better assess the quality of Jacob's vow here. Um, the second is we're going to look at four fatal flaws of uh, these, this, this vow that Jacob makes, okay? Um, and then the last thing that we're going to look at is how even though Jacob uh, fails in this regard, uh, God is faithful forever. All right, so let's look at that first, um, first vow uh, point. This says in verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, saying. And so what a vow is, is a promise, right? It's a promise to God. Um, a vow is important um, because basically you're saying, uh, God, um, I promise to do this. Whoever it is that you're, you're saying this to, you're promising to do this to, right? Um, so a vow is important uh, because you're holding yourself to this. Um, in fact, you could say that our uh, Heidelberg Catechism speaks about vows as well. In Lord's Day 36 and 37, um, it talks about oaths, which is another way of saying a vow. Um, Lord's Day 36 and 37 is an exposition of one of the commandments. I'd like to read that for you so that we have a sense of uh, what our own uh, confessional standard talks about vows. What is God's will for us in the third commandment that we not, neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders? In a word, it requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him Pray to him and praise him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent it and to forbid it? Yes, indeed, no sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded the death penalty for it. And this is what Lord's Day 37 says. 
But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good, such oaths are approved in God's word and were rightly used by Old and New Testament believers. And may we swear by saints or other creatures, no, a legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to my truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Um, this is a very um, important standard that the Heidelberg Catechism makes because some people can look at the third commandment and say that we should not um, use God's name to, uh, to swear an oath or to make a vow. Um, but uh, the, Heidelberg, the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism actually went through the scriptures and found that there were rightful uses of oath-making, rightful uses of vows. Um, and so there wasn't a clear denial of or clear saying you should never do this, but rather it was a saying that there's a very careful and appropriate way in which you should make vows. We see this in not only Jacob's example of this vow here, but also we see some pretty rash vows that are made later on in the scriptures. Probably one of the most uh, prolific examples would be in the book of Judges. Um, the judge, Jephthah, makes a vow to God that if God would give him victory over uh, his enemies when he went out to battle, that whatever came out of the gates, the first thing that came out of the gates, he would offer in sacrifice to God. And lo and behold, he did not expect that this would happen, but what came out of his gates was his very own daughter, his only daughter. Now, we can have an argument about whether uh, Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter in the sense of, of killing her like an animal sacrifice, or whether he committed her to service in the uh, tabernacle. Um, but regardless, excuse me, <coughs> regardless, he lost his daughter and was unable to then have a descendant um, because of that. She was his only daughter. Um, that's a, a rash vow, you could say, because uh, he didn't realize what he could be um, losing, what he could be giving up. He made a rash vow. But there are other honorable circumstances in which the vows are made to God in the Scriptures. Um, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is Jacob's vow here uh, one of those rash vows or one of those honorable cases of making a vow? So let's turn to our second point, fatal flaws. This is uh, the vow that Jacob makes to the Lord. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Um, these four failures or these uh, these four fatal flaws of God's um, of Jacob's vow here, um, I have found recorded in James Montgomery Boyce's commentary. So these are not new to me, but I think they uh, summarize well uh, the the errors of Jacob's vow here. Some people try to spin Jacob's vow in a positive sense. Some people try to uh, basically just say it's a really horrible vow. Uh, if you look at the, side, the title of my sermon, Quid Pro Quo, we heard so much about quid pro quo back in the day when there was the whole scandal with President Trump, right? Well, if you knew anything about quid pro quo, what it meant was 
the, uh, the, the accusation that was being made was that President Trump said, hey, if you do this thing for me, then I'll do this for you, right? If you do this thing for me, then I'll use my powers and my privileges as president to do this thing for you. Well, if you read Jacob's vow, it sounds a little bit like a quid pro quo agreement, doesn't it? If, then, if, then, right? Um, so let's look at uh, the four failures or the four fatal flaws of, of Jacob's vow here. The first thing that we have to mention is, um, if you um, look at God's statement to Jacob uh, in the vision, right, you will notice something very significant about it. And that is, that it is very God-focused. God is talking about himself because there's nothing greater to talk about. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Um, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Listen to Jacob's vow. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You hear that, right? The first fatal flaw of Jacob's vow is that it is very Jacob-focused rather than the Lord-focused. It's focusing on himself rather than on God. Right? Um, Jacob, just like we have seen so far in his story in Genesis, is very self-focused, self-centered. He is concerned about making sure that he gets the blessing. He is concerned about making sure that he gets the honor. He is concerned about manipulating and conniving in ways that bring him what he needs, what he wants, right? Jacob is a very um, selfish, self-centered person at this time in the narrative. Um, he's experienced this great vision, and his response is this vow that is very uh, self-centered, very Jacob-focused rather than God-focused. Uh, the second fatal flaw of Jacob's um, vow here is the implied doubt in God. Listen to what this says. If God will be with me and will watch over me, on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house. That implies that what God had promised him in the vision, Jacob did not fully believe. This is a causal statement. He is saying, well, if it is true that God is going to do what God said he's going to do, Here's the deal. When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It's not our position to make if-then statements about it. It's our position to believe. Believe in God's promises. And if you do not believe in God's promises, you should not be making promises to God. Jacob implies that he doubts God. This is what God said. 
I am the Lord your God, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob's response is, well, if God is going to do that, If God is going to do that, that is a fatal flaw of Jacob's vow. Because any vow to God must include faith in God. Any vow to God must be a vow that includes a belief that God will accomplish what God said he would accomplish. And God will keep his promises. So that is the second fatal flaw. The third fatal flaw is the second part of that if-then statement. So Jacob implies doubt in God, right? If God will do these things so that I return safely to my father's house, this is what Jacob says then. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So this is an attempt to bargain with God. This is what that quid pro quo statement is about. If God will do these things for me, then God, this is what I'll do for you. Right? This would be like somebody saying today, if Jesus will give me a brand new million dollar mansion, a nice Lamborghini, and the perfect life, a good job that makes uh, six figures, then I will believe him and trust in him. Is that how faith operates? No, faith is a belief in things unseen. The promise of what is to come. Jesus will say, Blessed are you, my disciples, because you have seen me and believed. But more blessed are those who will believe in what you say about me because they have believed in me and have not seen me. Jesus will walk into his hometown of Nazareth and he will proclaim the word of God about who he is, that he has come to preach the gospel of peace, the good news of the sight, being restored to the blind. And their answer to him will be, well, show us these things. Show us that you really are who you say you are. And Jesus says, I will have nothing to do with you people. Because a wicked generation desires signs. They were bargaining with Jesus. They wanted to see that he was really what he was saying he was. And this is what Jacob is doing here. He wants to see if God will really keep his promise. And if God really does keep his promise, then he'll follow through with his end of the bargain. 
Jacob is padding his accounts, having a backup plan, sitting on the fence. He's not all the way in, but he's not out either. He's going to wait to see how things pan out for him. What God does for him before he decides to really do something for God. I need to make something very, very clear this morning. You do not bargain with God. God is the sovereign over all creation. You're not the one that gets to dictate the terms of the agreement, the structure of your relationship. Our calling is to believe in the promises of God. And we best believe in them before we make promises to God. And by the way, the funny thing about Jacob's attempt to bargain is that when he says, if you do all these things so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. I'm sorry, Jacob. The Lord already is your God. You don't have to admit to it. The Lord is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whether you confess it or not. So don't bargain with God. That's the third fatal flaw. The fourth fatal flaw is this. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now we understand that in the um, Old Testament scriptures, there is a, um, a development of the tithing principle. Um, and earlier in Genesis, we saw this with Abraham giving a tenth to um, Melchizedek. And here at the same time, Jacob offers um, God a tenth, right, of everything that he has if God does this. Um, and and we'll, we'll see this tenth concept established in the Levitical priesthood in, in terms of offerings and, and what they looked like and what God required, right? Um, but there also is this, uh, this element of free will offerings in the, in the Old Testament, this concept that whatever the Lord places on your heart is what you should give. Um, and there's this question in the New Testament uh, of developmental uh, of, of theology. Um, is, is the tithe um, something that is still required by God's law for the church today? And that is the sense in which um, should Christians who are uh, committed members of churches um, give uh, a tenth? And, and it would be my argument and my conviction that based on what we hear and what we read about when, in terms of taking offerings and things like that in the New Testament, uh, that the concept of a tithe would be a good starting principle, right? That, it, that if you're learning how to be generous and you're learning how to be uh, somebody who, who trusts that the Lord, that all that you have, your financial um, um, situation belongs to the Lord and you're desiring to express that, um, that the, and to give back to the Lord that 10th is a good place to start, but 10th is the bottom ring. 
Because what you're doing when you give to the Lord now is not an obligation in order to support the, the, the Levitical priesthood or anything like that. It is in order to express the gratitude that you have for the salvation that you have received in Jesus Christ. So it's not about, are you following this rigid principle of 10%? It's more about, how thankful are you? Then express that. Express that in what you give. And if you apply that principle to what Jacob is saying, he has just been promised by the God of all creation, the heavens and the earth, God just gave him a vision and said, listen, I know you just cheated your brother and he's trying to kill you and you're running away from home and you're going off to find a wife, but this is what I want you to know. I will be with you and I will make sure that all that I have promised you will come true, which includes the fact that you will own this land that you are on, you and your descendants after you, which includes the fact that you will be as numerous as the sea on the sand, shore, uh, the, the sand on the seashores, and, and includes the fact that through you, all people in the world will be blind and this is what Jacob does and you know what if you do that God I will give you a tenth yeah a tenth aren't I good it kind of falls a little bit short doesn't it it falls a little bit flat it doesn't really seem to express the thankfulness that Jacob has for this revelation that God has given him and the assurance that God will accomplish for him what he has promised him. Those are the four fatal flaws. The first is the focus is on Jacob rather than the Lord. The second is that it implies doubt and what God has promised him. The third is that Jacob is attempting to bargain with God and the fourth is that he only offered God a small portion to express his thankfulness and gratitude. What about this final point? Faithful forever. It might be easy to, um, to poke fun at Jacob and call him a liar and... Um, Compare him to Loki in Norse theology because he's a mischievous little guy. And it might be easy to, um, to sort of uh, not feel bad for him when he gets tricked into marrying Leah and then has to work for his father-in-law for seven more years before he gets the wife he really wants. And it might be easy to, uh, to look down on Jacob as... Um, a patriarch of our faith and, and really say he's nothing like Abraham. We really prefer Abraham over Jacob and we think maybe Abraham really is more faithful than, than Jacob is, that Jacob is uh, sort of this mixed bag, you know. And, and we look here at this vow that he made and, and we sort of scoff and say, I mean, I would never be like that. <laughs> but really... Really? You see, what I read when I read this vow, 
that Jacob makes to God. It's sort of a, a very small beginning. A small beginning to what will become Jacob's walk with God. Is it perfect? No. Would you like to have all the things that you thought about God when you were working through fifth grade catechism class written down for someone else to read? We're all on this journey together. And God has given us the privilege of seeing Jacob's journey, maybe even just a small portion of it. And he's okay with it not being perfect. And what's so beautiful about that is that God gives us imperfect examples because he knows that we are imperfect. And if all he ever gave us in the Bible were Daniel's, we'd start to think we fall short. Maybe too short for God's grace to reach us. For his love to find us. But no, instead what we get here is sort of like a a Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration moment. When he sees Jesus in all his glory and he sees Moses and Elijah talking to him and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And so in his expression of just feeling overwhelmed, he's like, Lord, this is what we should do. We should make tents here and we should stay up here and live on this mountain forever. Because he's beside himself. Is Jacob's faith perfect in this moment? No. But I'll tell you whose faithfulness is. God's. See, sometimes we think that God would listen to a vow like this and be like, wow, if that's going to be your response to my promises that you're going to try to deal with me, that you're going to try to bargain with me, that you're going to not believe in what I said, then that's it. The deal is off. But what we read of Jacob's story is that what God promised, he fulfilled in Jacob's life. Despite the fact that Jacob's expression of faith and trust And God is so imperfect. God was faithful to him. Now, now can you understand why reading the first vow in the Bible, which is far from a good vow, would be a comfort for all of us this morning. Because just like Jacob, we have imperfect faith. 
And just like Jacob, God is still faithful to us. And what is so beautiful about this moment is that the promise that God made to Jacob that all the peoples on the earth would be blessed through you and through your seed, through your offspring, would come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob. And what we are told about Jesus is that all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in him. And so it is that when we believe in the promises of God, what we are really believing in is Jesus. His fulfillment of them. So my challenge to us this morning is that may we dig deeper into the promises of God. May we find in his word all the things that God has promised his people. And may we believe them more fervently and more strongly because of God's faithfulness to us. That's been on display for thousands of years. And it's in this context where we are so strongly believing in the promises of God that we might find there is no need for a vow. Because we realize all that we need, all that we stand in need of, God has already promised to us. And God has already promised its fulfillment in us. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that you, you have fulfilled all your promises in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So may we say yes, may we say amen. And may we, Lord, be comforted with the fact um, that your faithfulness to us is not dependent on our faithfulness to you. But it is because of your good nature, your perfect love. And your fullness of compassion. Your hesed. May we, Lord, trust and believe in your promises before we ever decide to make promises to you. May we know, Lord, that you are faithful forever. And to all that we need, we can find. In Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand?